Welcome to The Bull and the Bear, a money and markets podcast. We give you the advice you need to know to make investing safe and profitable. With The Bull and the Bear podcast, you'll get exclusive access to some of the top thinkers, analysts, advisors, and gurus in the investment business. And now for your hosts, Matt Clark and Charles Sizemore. And welcome to uh, another episode of The Bull and the Bear, a money and markets podcast. Uh, I am Matt Clark. Uh, glad you are joining us and happy to, uh, to have you uh, along with us. By the way, just, just to you know, let everyone know, we are uh, a part of Money and Markets, which is a financial website, and just want to let everyone know how you can get to uh, Money and Markets. Uh, I'll be a little smoother with the transition next time, but moneyandmarkets.com is uh, where you want to go for financial news, financial uh, advice. Uh, and, and, and I'll allude to uh, a few more things that are on that website coming up here soon. Uh, to kind of run down what we're going to talk about today, I've got Charles Sizemore uh, with me as, uh, as usual. We'll, we'll call him the partner in crime in, in old radio speak, if you will. Um, but we're going to talk about uh, IRAs and 401ks, which has uh, become a, a much more hot-button topic now, especially with the, you know, the current situation of the economy. Um, artificial intelligence is going to be another topic of discussion today. I want to talk about uh, AI stocks the AI sector. And then we've got a special thing for you uh, at the end. We're going to talk to Adam O'Dell, who is the uh, chief investment strategist for Money and Markets. We're going to have him on every week. And I'll tell you what, not to play him up too much or to give him a too big of a head, but if you want to talk about a guy who's rock solid in the markets and knows what he's talking about, this guy's it. So you, you definitely want to, uh, to, to hang out uh, until the end and, and hear what he has to say. And like I said, we're going to have him on every week and uh, guy's just, uh, he's, he's, he's genius. I, uh, I, I bow in awe to his, uh, market greatness. So, but let me bring in, uh, Charles Sizemore. Charles, uh, how are you, sir? Doing well. How about you? Uh, not too bad. Not too bad. I know that, uh, uh, not not to d- divulge too much, but uh, the travel situation didn't quite get uh, get worked out this week. But uh, hopefully, fingers crossed that uh, we we get you home uh, sooner rather than later. Yeah. Yeah, sooner rather than later. <laughs> That's what I'm hoping for. <laughs> <laughs> I have no doubt of that. All right. Well, let's jump right in. Um, I, Earlier this week, uh, Charles, you wrote a, a, a story regarding uh, Roth IRAs on moneymarkets.com. And, and it was particularly interesting because you drew comparisons between Roth IRAs and, and 401ks. And, and, you know, so many people now are thinking about retirement. How can we save for retirement? What, what do we save for retirement? What's the best avenue to do so? Um, companies now obviously do, do uh, you know, 401ks through, through their own programs. And there's a, a, a wide range of options out there uh, in addition to obviously investing in the markets for retirement, which is, you know, completely plausible as well. But uh, it was interesting that you, you, you drew comparison. And I think now is a really good time to talk about, you know, Roth IRAs, 401ks and retirement, considering, you know, the state of the market flux and, and, and how things are going back and forth. So I, I guess I really just want to turn it over to you. And, and I want to I want you to talk about, you know, first off, you drew comparisons about Roth between Roth IRAs and 401ks. So I guess let's give a quick, you know, primer in terms of, of what the differences are. So talk about that first. What what is if I'm new to, you know, retirement and I don't really know what to do, which is, you know, millions of Americans face this thing on a regular basis. I'm looking at 401ks, I'm looking at Roths. Give me the rundown. What are the pros and cons to to both of these potential retirement services? Yeah, sure, sure. So, uh kind of some some definitional stuff. We'll lump 
IRAs and 401ks all together as just um, retirement accounts. And we'll, we'll divide that further between traditional and Roth. You know, of course, my joke in, in the article was, you know, William Roth, the late U.S. senator that sponsored the bill that created the Roth structure, if there were room for a fifth head on Mount Rushmore. Every financial planner in, in America would, would vote to carve his face onto the mountain. Um, it, it's been a really nice uh, planning tool for decades. But you know, the, the essential difference between a traditional IRA slash 401k and a Roth 401k slash IRA is uh, where you take the tax benefit. Under the, the traditional way, you get a tax benefit right now in this tax year. Uh, all of your, your interest and, and, and dividends and capital gains grow over the course of, of their life in, in the vehicle tax-free. And then when you eventually take the money out, you pay taxes at ordinary income rates in retirement. You know, that's the traditional way. You get a tax break today. You benefit from, from no taxation for the length of the investment. When you retire, you pay taxes then. Well, the Roth model flips that around. You get no uh, tax break in the year you make the contribution, but the earnings, just like a traditional, they, they continue to grow uh, tax-free indefinitely. Uh, the critical difference is when you take the money out in retirement, you're not paying taxes on it then. You can take the money out tax-free. And an additional wrinkle to that is with, under the traditional 401k and IRA, you are required to take distributions uh, once you hit a certain age. Uh, right now, 70 and a half. Not 70, mind you, not 71. It's <laughs> 70 and a half. I mean, this is like, it's like when you ask your, you know, seven-year-old kid, how old are you? I'm seven and a half. <laughs> not, you know, that's, they're, they're proud of that extra half year. That That's what this reminds me of, but that's, you know, that's Congress in its infinite wisdom. It's that uh, required minimum distribution age is exactly 70 and a half. Um, where that gets fun is um, the Roth IRA has no required minimum dis uh, distribution. So you can, in theory, never take distributions from a Roth. If you're not really wanting to use the funds in retirement, you can just let the money compound from now until the end of time. And then when you eventually die, you can just give it to your heirs or give it to a charity or do whatever you want to do. But you're never going to have to pay taxes on it in your lifetime. So that's, that, that creates some, some interesting math because if you're a relatively low-income earner now, let's say you're young, let's say you've just started your career, or importantly, given what's happening with the virus these days, let's say that your income is temporarily depressed because your business has taken a hit or because you're out of work or because your hours have been cut back or because, because your life has been thrown into disarray because of the coronavirus and the lockdowns your income could be depressed. Why, why would that matter? So that tax break you get, by the way, I'm on a farm, so I don't know if, if all this is coming in on the microphone right now, but there are some horses just raising absolute hell no, you're fine. 50 yards from me. So, oh, no, you're, you're good. So I, I kind of almost wish that was on the microphone because it would have made for some nice sound effects, you know, <laughs> talking about finance with horses uh, whinnying in the background. At, at any rate, so, you know, let me back up for a second. It's it's kind of a mat. It, it's your decision about which makes more sense to go the traditional route, and you get that tax break right now, or going the Roth route, where you don't get a tax break today, but you get it years in the future. A lot of that comes down 
to what your tax bracket is today. So let's say you know you're you're killing it in your career. You know you or if you're married, you and your spouse are making a ton of money. You find yourself in a really high tax bracket. And I'm defining a high tax bracket. Let's just say anything over you know high 20s or low 30s. Let's say your you know your your marginal tax rate is something like 30 percent ish. Okay. Getting a an immediate year tax break is huge. I mean, who wouldn't want to make you know 30 percent on their money just in the tax break alone? You know, the traditional model really does work well for high income earners. But let's say you're young. Let, let, let's say you know you're just starting your career. You're not making a lot of money. Let's say again because of coronavirus, your your life has been turned upside down. Does it really do you much good to get a tax break if you're not going to be paying much in taxes anyway because you're in a lower bracket? The answer obviously is no. It's better to put your money into a Roth IRA, uh, you know, and, and then get that benefit years into in, into the future when presumably your financial situation will be stronger. It also gives you more flexibility because you're not required to take distributions in retirement. So this has created, you know, for people for whom the Roth IRA would have never made sense in in, in you know past uh, recent years here because their income was just too high. You know, they would have just never considered doing a Roth, or, or they wouldn't have even qualified for it if they wanted to. Um, all of a sudden, the Roth becomes doable this year. And there's one additional additional wrinkle, and that's the Roth conversion. So this uh, – the Roth conversion rules used to be really strict, but uh, under uh, actually George W. Bush's administration, they got loosened up, and they've, they've never really been tightened since. You can take an existing – 401k or IRA, and you can convert it to a Roth. Now, when you do that, all you know, everything in that account becomes subject to tax in the year of the conversion. So you can get you can get stuck with a huge tax bill, which is why I usually don't recommend people do a Roth conversion. I mean, it's you're taking too much pain to you get this great benefit in the future, sure, but you're taking too much pain today to get that. But you know, however, let's let's say your income is let's say you just took a bath this tax year because of the coronavirus. Well, if your income is really depressed, then why not do a Roth conversion? You can take those traditional IRA or 401k balances, convert it to a Roth, get this fantastic long-term tax benefit, and you're not going to get soaked too badly on the taxes because you're temporarily in a lower bracket. So that's my very long-winded explanation. <laughs> no, no, that, that's good. And I think for, for people who are who are obviously contemplating retirement and living in, in, in our economic situation right now, it's good information to have. I mean, basically, it comes down to your situation. Where are you at at this point in time in your life? Uh, and, and it's good to talk with uh, with uh, with a plan sponsor or, or someone like that to maybe get a little more a little bit deeper detail to to really you know finalize what what you want to do, but. You know, the good news is, is there's options. Uh, the good news is, is that the differences between those options are very obvious. They're not, they're not minuscule. Uh, it just kind of comes down to plugging yourself into, are you in column A or are you in column B and, and, and what then best set, best suits you moving forward. So no, I, and I thought, I, I thought that was really, uh, it was a really good piece on moneymarkets.com and, and uh, it's something that uh, is at the forefront uh, of people's minds now because, you know, 401ks that invest heavy are, 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 have, took a bit of a hit uh, when the stock market, uh, you know, tanked in March. So it, it did have an impact on, uh, on some people's 401ks. But good information for more of it. Make sure you uh, check, uh, check out Charles' story on moneymarkets.com.
to switch gears a little bit, uh, and, and this is not just switching gears, this is changing cars. Um, I, I want to talk about artificial intelligence. And, and I'll, I'll preface by saying that um, when it comes to, to tech like 5G and, and artificial intelligence, I'm fairly bullish. Um, I believe that even though these sectors now are trending a bit downward, that in the near future, there is going to be a, a, a massive explosion. And as an investor, I think there is an ample opportunity here to start you know, building that foundation for, for, for solid gains down the road. But I want to focus a little bit more on artificial intelligence. And, and you know, I, in, I would use the reference that back in, 19, in, in the 1980s, 86, I believe, when, when Microsoft had its IPO, its IPO launched at $21 a share. It closed the first day at, I believe, $27 a share. Now, if you factor in price appreciations, dividends, um, you know, all, all the math that goes into it, if you had invested $1,000 on the day that Microsoft stock launched publicly and just held on to it, didn't do anything with it, didn't, um, you know, didn't just, just sat and watched, you'd be looking at around, and I, the, the math here is, is, I could be off a bit, but not by a whole lot, looking around $2 million in terms of what your, what your investment would look like today. And that's off of a $1,000 investment. Sure. To me, that speaks volumes. Um, and I think it, 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 it's one of those things where, you know, as an investor, you always want to try to catch lightning in a bottle. And you want to make that lightning last as long as possible because you want to try to find what's the next hot thing? What's the next, you know, insert, insert sector here? What's the next thing in that sector that is going to really take off and provide me with monumental gains like a Microsoft, like an Amazon, like, you know, insert big, big blue chip stock here that, that has really taken off. And I think one sector that tends to get a bit overlooked here is, is artificial intelligence. And the reason is, is because, you know, first off, when, when people think of companies to invest in or they think of sectors to, th- to, to invest in, by and large, I'd have to say that, that most investors just think about the broad strokes. They don't really look at companies that benefit from the benefit from the benefit. And what I mean is they don't really drill down to see, okay, what, I'll take 5G, for example. Obviously, when 5G revolution takes off, companies like AT&T, T-Mobile, Verizon, they're all going to benefit from that. But you, I think you have to drill down even further to find companies that are those real diamonds in the rough that are going to take off and, and produce massive gains. I mean, AT&T's been around for ages. T-Mobile's been around for a while. You know, Verizon's been around for a while. But what's that one company that right now is trading at $12 a share that proves to be a huge player in 5G and winds up being the next Microsoft? in terms of, uh, of that sector. And that's what investors want to find. And I think there's opportunities here in artificial intelligence. I, I, you know, I talked to Charles Mizrahi, who is uh, 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 another investment, uh, investment guy with Banyan Hill Publishing. He, he's the editor of the Alpha Investor Report. And, and he told me, he said, you know, research is showing that AI could be adding about $15.7 trillion to the world's global supply over the next 10 years. That's just 10 years. I mean, we think of that maybe being a long time, but it's really not. And, and I think that that's where 
you know, you really have to look at a sector like an artificial intelligence and say, okay, I think this is worth a look. And, and oh, absolutely. And I just, you know, I, I just think sometimes those things get um, pushed aside by your everyday hobby investor because I think they're looking for, everyone wants to be a, a day trader and, and make hundreds of thousands of dollars in a day trade. And it just, it's very rare. It doesn't, doesn't happen very often. Let's, let's look at the, let's look at like the, the, the economics of it. So like the beauty of a company, let's just go backwards in time. My, Microsoft, you know, different era. I mean, of course, Microsoft today is, is big in the cloud. You know, they've reinvented themselves, but let's go back to their original model, just making software and selling it on a disk, right? Mm -hmm. The beauty of a company like that was that it was infinitely scalable. Um, it's not like there's high variable cost. Like if you go to Starbucks and you order a coffee, there is pretty high variable cost. I mean, every cup of coffee involves beans, labor, everything else, right? Whereas with the software model, there's not. I mean, there's there's research and development costs to build the software, but there's essentially no variable cost in producing an, an additional software uh, distribution, right? Right. It's if you sell to one person, you sell it to a million people. It's really the same variable cost, right? Exactly. Uh, the same, the same, the same cost. So artificial intelligence is the same way, arguably even more. I mean, like once you've you've done the legwork to create. The, the algorithms and what like once you've done the brain power work to create that you know to, to create it then you can just keep finding new new solutions for it i mean like the, the hard work is done you can just exactly keep finding new solutions for it and so i mean that's why you know whenever you, you do find the winners from ai i mean there's going to be fortunes made in this because of that scalability and like that's what makes this so attractive yeah i mean everything what, great about software and and then some when what these companies are doing is they're basically creating what what ted bauman would call a moat and that is that they are providing something that is is necessary to everyone but comes as like you said as once you do the once you do the legwork which is being done now after that you know you're looking at, at pure profit um, because you're basically just marketing this to companies that will use a solution you've come up with. And, 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 sure. and, and not to tout, you know, back in December, um, I wrote a piece about, you know, AI stocks that you should watch. And, and, and what I like to do is whenever I do these types of things, just like, uh, our, our, uh, just like Adam does with, with, with his portfolios, with his model portfolios, I do the same thing. I like to track, okay, I recommended these stocks to people. For whatever reason, whatever the rationale is, whether it's a nice 60-month beta, whether it's a, a, a value play, whether it's just because, I, I mean, I, I, it's not, but just, I just flipped a coin it looked good. That's not what I did, but, you know, you know what I'm saying. So I like to track it. So back in December, um, I found um, three AI stocks that, that I, three AI companies, and these are companies that aren't, you know, they're not AI. They do a lot of other different things, but they surround themselves and have the potential to be very big AI players. And, and so far, um, you know, some of these companies, even with the tech downfall of recent, are still doing very well. Um, one, for example, NVIDIA. Um, you know, NVIDIA, whenever, sure. whenever I recommended, was uh, around 210 a share, and now it's, it's approaching 300. Um, so it's, that's about a 40% gain. Um, You've got Intel, which is that's an interesting stock, though. Yeah, Nvidia is an interesting stock because it's come up 
a couple times over the years for, for different reasons. Exactly. Also, just kind of the same reason. I mean, it, 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 you know, NVIDIA was a, a big beneficiary of the cryptocurrency revolution. Yes. Why? Because its processors were really, I mean, its processors were, uh, you know, they he- did the heavy lifting of mining uh, new coins. And so, like, like the, the chips that are powerful enough to do that, the chips that have, you know, that, that, that are that versatile, uh, they also work for the heavy lifting of AI. It's 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 great. I mean, it's 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 a it's a versatile. It, it, you're taking the existing chips and finding new versatile uses for it. And that, and that's and that's what I like to try to find is what who's providing a product that can be used across many different areas. Um, Intel is is another right now. They are at about a six and a half percent gain as of. I think yesterday or day before, I don't remember, I haven't looked today. Um, Salesforce. Salesforce is one of those that really flies under the radar. It's a, it's a company that does a lot of uh, customer relationship management software. Um, companies use sure. these for tracking sales, for making appointments. I mean, they, there's such a, a wide range of use for Salesforce. Um, and, and I think that, that it, it's those types of companies, to me, especially in AI, that have the potential to be huge players and to be those those companies that you look back in 20 years and think, gosh, I really I really should have really should have got into it. I really I well, really yeah, kind of kick myself. But, but think about Salesforce. Yeah, but think about Salesforce.com. You know what what does that company do? And people that I mean, there's a ton of people listening probably use this software daily. You know, if if you're if you are managing a sales team, if you are regularly following up with with customers. You know, to expand your relationship with them. You know, what if you're a financial advisor and you're looking to reach out to your clients to, I don't know, ask them for more money to invest? Whatever the, uh, what, I mean, it's it, it, it's it's useful in that. But what the the benefit of Salesforce is for anybody that's you know in sales or, or relationship management is it organizes your process. So if you're if you're a salesman, you're spending all day on the phone, just calling people, drumming up business. That's that's hard work, and it's it, it's also very inefficient with your time. Salesforce helps you to automate the process to some extent. It it helps you to just make better use of your limited time and, and be more effective and more efficient in your process. Well, you add artificial intelligence to that, and you can really step it up a notch. I mean, you could even have situations where if you're, you're talking about sending a, um, a basic follow-up email, the system could do it for you. Exactly. You know, rather than you sitting down to do it, like some of the basic contact with your customers can be done automatically by the bot. You're sort of kept in the loop of what's happening. And then once it escalates to a certain, well, escalates a long word, that sounds bad. But like once the conversation reaches a certain point where the bot can no longer help them, then it it sends it to you. Yeah, it, 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 at that point, maybe you could do ten clients in the amount of time that would normally take you to do one, because the artificial intelligence is handling some of the menial, you know, basic stuff for you. Exactly, and and that's why again, that's why you know companies like Nvidia, Salesforce. I think you know you don't necessarily look at them as potential AI plays, but I think they are, and I think they're 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 companies that you know can can provide solid solid gains for investors who get into them. Uh, now, I mean, prices. Are, I mean, all all three of those are are still pretty solid values for investors, and I think could provide uh, uh, you know a, a nice benefit if you if you hang on to them for you know five, six years, maybe even longer or whatever. But I mean, I, I think it's there. So, 
you know, the bottom line is, is, is I think AI, like, like, uh, like 5G is one of those things that it's going to take off. It's going to happen. And, and, and I think as an investor, you, you want to start doing your homework now in terms of determining what, you know, where you want to go with it. You know, what do you want to do with it? Um, but I definitely think there, there are sectors that you should, you should take a look at. Aside from the fact that I'm bullish on it, I, I still think it's, it, they are sectors that, that investors um, will, will kick themselves for not getting into at this point in time. So moving on to, to the treat of the day, if you will, um, what, we've, uh, what we've decided to do here is put him on the spot. But uh, recently, moneyandmarkets.com uh, brought on a, a chief investment strategist. And, and I don't, you know, we could not have found a better guy to do it. There was not a better person around, whether available or not, that could fill the role that that Adam O'Dell has filled with money and markets. And, and, and this guy, you know, I've, I've met him a couple of times. I've read his stuff. And you want to talk about, you know, knowing the pulse uh, and, and providing investors with sound advice and, and, and understanding the markets and knowing how to present that information, you know, to whether you are a seasoned investor or whether you are a rookie investor, um, you know, he, he does it. And, and so I want to bring him on now, as, as we hope to do every week. And, and uh, Adam, first off, welcome. Uh, thank you for joining uh, the Bull and the Bear. And uh, we're, we're very, uh, very fortunate to have you with us today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. And uh, I guess, you know, I, I, I could tell your story, but I, I, you know, I think it's better coming from you. So I guess my, my, my first question to you, just to kind of get things going, is because there may be some people out there who, who, who don't know who you are, but need to know who you are. So tell me about your background. Where, what, what, what's your story? Where did you come from? How did you get to where you're at right now? Sure, sure. Um, so before I began uh, kind of in the newsletter industry, I was in the traditional money management industry. Um, I worked for a Fortune 500 financial planning company. I was doing financial advising, um, you know, working with high net, client, high net worth clients, uh, trying to get them in the right spot for their retirement. Um, so that's where I kind of cut my teeth in the, in, in the industry. But um, I was in that throughout 2008. And I basically realized that through 2008, um, that the advice that the mainstream, you know, uh, the big money managers give is basically boils down to buy and hold and hope. And there really wasn't a, you know, a risk management mechanism. There really wasn't a way to profit from or protect yourself from the downside in markets. Um, really, the mantra was just wait it out. As long as you don't need to retire this next year, this next five years, uh, you can be in the market for the long, long haul, weather the volatility, and just ride it out. Like I said, buy, hold, and hope. And so that didn't really work uh, well for most of our clients, as, as most people know, in 2008, anybody lived through that. I didn't sit well with me because I knew that there had to be a better way. Um, so I kind of kept figuring out a, a better way. And, and from that from that point on, uh, I got into proprietary trading. I did a lot of trading in the foreign currency markets. Uh, I ran a diversified uh, futures uh, trend following fund uh, for fund of funds. So I was basically working with uh, institutional clients. Um, so that's really where I got away from buy, hold, and hope. But I still wasn't working with individual investors. I was working with uh, institutional investors. And uh, that just really wasn't fulfilling for me. Uh, I wanted to be able to work with individual investors like I had originally uh, sought out to do, uh, but just in a more active way. So I wasn't simply telling them to buy, hold, and hope. Um, so a big turning point in my career was I, I worked for a company called TradeStation Securities, online brokerage firm. But really what they focused on is building a, a software 
that individual self-directed retail investors could use to test out their ideas in the market and to test out before they went to make a trade, is this a good trade, a bad trade, or an awful trade? And uh, we called it rules-based trading or what a lot of people will call systematic investing. Um, so what I did all day long was I held uh, hour-long phone consultations, WebEx consultations with our clients who are retail self-directed investors. And I walked them through our platform and showing them how to use the software to test out their ideas. Now, what I mean, mean by an idea is that we'd have clients call up and say, well, every time I see the charts do X, Y, and Z, it seems like the stock goes higher after that. But they were just kind of making those observations on an ad hoc or you know, kind of just with their eyes and their gut. And really what the system, what the software allowed them to do is test out that idea. If I, in fact, bought a stock every single time that X, Y, and Z lined up, would I have made money in the long run or would I have lost money in the long run? So I really saw how that was a transformative experience for self-directed investors. Um, one, it did really two things. First of all, it showed them how to take advantage of all the um, inefficiencies and all the behavioral biases that basically move market prices. So it allowed them to take advantage of those um, inefficiencies and actually profit from them. The second thing it allowed in, uh, the individual investor to do is to protect them own, their own selves from the same emotional pitfalls that everybody uh, falls victim to. So by following a system, you can basically take advantage of the mistakes that other investors are making when they're making gut feel decisions. And at the same time, you can protect your own self from making those same mistakes. And that's truly when it gelled for me. That's when I saw that, that you can do this. As a self-directed individual retail investor, you can beat the market. You can do exactly what you want to do, which is invest in the market for the long haul, invest it uh, in it prudently with, with risk controls, and make a lot of money in the process. You can do that. You don't need a Wall Street money manager. You don't need to day trade or try to do it all on your own. But what you do need is some type of a system. It's, it's interesting, like when you guys were talking about uh, Salesforce, uh, Charles said that that basically organizes and automates the process that had been done by individuals based on discretionary or gut decisions. Um, and it did so, so that that person could be more efficient and more effective. And that's, I really couldn't have had a better lead. That's exactly how I see systematic investing. Systematic investing takes good ideas like investing in value stocks or a good proven idea like investing in momentum stocks. And it organizes your process and it automates your process so that you can be more effective and more efficient. Uh, you know, a lot of people, when they hear about systematic investing, they think that, oh, it's a black box. It's an algorithm that's running some high frequency trading strategy and it's all baloney and it's not for the retail investor. That's not how I view systematic investing. Again, systematic investing could be as simple as having three rules. If X, Y, and Z all line up on the same week, then I'm gonna buy a stock and then I have a rule for when I get out of that stock for either a profit or a risk management loss. That's really all that systematic investing is. And truly that's, that's I've, I've worked with a ton of retail investors and those are the only ones that I see as truly successful over the long run. The folks that have something of a well-defined system for themselves and then the discipline to actually stick to that system and follow it through thick and thin when through the ups and downs. So, you know, TradeStation was very, very transformative for me. I still wanted to be able to run my own strategies. I wanted to work with more retail investors. And so that's really why what I'm doing right now is, is a perfect fit. You know, you, you mentioned systematic investing. And, and, and first off, I, I think that's a great, uh, that's a great methodology to use. Um, and I think it benefits, you know, no matter what kind of investor you are, I think taking a, a systematic approach is, is beneficial. But, but let's be honest, 
these market times have been unlike anything we've seen in at least a decade, if not longer. Uh, you know, in March, um, the markets were fluctuating so wildly that it, it became impossible to determine what was going up, what was going down, and when that was happening. And even now, you know, I don't think we're we're at a point to where we can breathe easy with the market, even though things have, have ticked up. I, I think there's still a lot of volatility left on the market. I think there's still a lot of uh, of, of downs to, to, to hit us. I, I don't think we've reached the lowest point that we're going to reach. I think it's going to probably get worse before it gets better. So I guess I want to ask you, Adam, real briefly, you know, tell me, how does you, how does your approach help any investor, uh, you know, whether they're listening or, or they jump in late? or how, do, how does your systematic investing approach, how, how does it benefit you know, the average investor or any investor. Yeah, I mean, with the volatility in the market now and with so much uncertainty ahead, this is really the ideal time to be following something of a systematic strategy. Uh, you mentioned like, you know, the possibility that we'll test the lows. I mean, certainly we're in the middle of this crisis right now, um, the, the end result or the end of the story is very much still to be determined. So I personally would not be at all surprised if we do retest uh, the lows, if we make new lows, um, that would not surprise me. But at the same time, the great thing about systematic investing is that my opinion doesn't really matter that much. Everybody has their opinions on the market, whether we hit a new low, whether we hit highs first, whether we have a V-shaped recovery or a U-shaped or L-shaped or Nike swoosh, you know, opinions abound. But um, financial markets are so complex that if you, you base all of your investment actions on your opinion, then uh, that's, that's really a great way to lose money. And that's what systematic investing does. It kind of gets you out of that rat race of having to wake up every single day, reading the news, and then forming an opinion on whether stocks are going to go up or down that next month. Um, so, you know, a great example of that, I mean, the, the current environment we're in now is crazy. But if you look all the way back, we started off kind of in a bear market environment in late 2018. So the fourth quarter of 2018 was pretty rough. Stocks fell in October, November, December. Um, they actually crossed into official bear market territory, down 20% highs uh, on December 24th, Christmas Eve, 2018. So that was obviously a wake-up call for everybody. Um, but what's interesting about taking the systematic approach is I wrote um, to my Cycle 9 Alert subscribers, which we follow a system in that, in that options trading service. I wrote to them in early July of 2019, just on the heels of that bear market uh, touch. And I can't. I sh shared with them what my bear market action plan is. And it was a very simple four-step plan. Uh, the first step was keep mental flexibility. Just admit that we're in a bear market now. Don't hold on to the idea that we have to be in a bull market to make money and, and be flexible that we might be go right back into a bull market uh, pretty soon. So I said, keep mental flexibility high. Second step is to don't buy the dips. Uh, res resist the urge to go bottom feeding. Um, we have a rule that says we only buy things that are already trending higher. It's a trend rule. And we do that because it's it's safer and more profitable over the long run to buy stocks that are already trending higher than to buy dips. So that was the second part of the plan. The third part of the plan was to look at alternative alternative investments, things like gold and bonds and, and currencies, anything that doesn't uh, necessarily move in lockstep with stocks. And then the fourth uh, step was to look at uh, opportunities to short stocks. We obviously know that short selling and or buying put options, which is a much better way to do it, is, is tricky. It's not as easy as it looks, but if you get it right, you can make a lot of money on the downside of a market and they can be great hedges in a, in a tough environment. So that was basically my four step uh, bear market action plan. Now the ironic thing about it was that uh, for the next 12 months or, or whatever, after I wrote about the bear market action plan in January of 2019, the market went straight up. <laughs> yeah. So 
Yeah. So, I mean, it looked like that's a, that's a great example of where I had an opinion, you know, right. well, well, technically we were in the bear market. I had an opinion that, that it could uh, persist. It could be a worse bear market. It could, um, we could go sideways for a long time. So I had an opinion that it was going to be a rough road ahead. I, my opinion was not that we were going to spend all of 2019 in a, in a renewed bull market rally. Uh, but again, my opinion didn't matter. Uh, to bring this home, we made a, we made about 20 trades in Cycle 9 Alert in uh, 2019. Uh, some of them were shorting stocks. We, we bought put options on some. Uh, some of them were going long stocks. In fact, we actually made more long stock recommendations in uh, 2019 than short stocks, despite the fact that I came up with the bear market action plan. And then we also made four uh, what I would consider alternative plays. We made a long play on gold, a long play on silver, long play on oil, and a long play on treasury bonds. Four for four, we, we basically won all four of those trades and the alternatives. Um, so where our largest single trade profit came from one of our short stock uh, positions, we bought put options on an ETF that tracks the uh, healthcare service providers. It was basically when Bernie was talking about Medicare for all, all right, the big right. insurers were getting crushed. We, you know, we made uh, upwards of 200% on that play. But overall, we actually, you know, on, on our short plays in 2019, we lost a little bit of money because we were kind of positioning for the potential for a bear market. Uh, but the market kept going higher. But even though we lost a little bit of money on those shorts, um, by following my system, even though it felt awkward to do so, we got into more long stock plays than I would have anticipated. Uh, we got into a number of long alternative market plays. Again, gold, silver, oil, and bonds. Those went four for four, 100% win rate. So it really showed that by following my system and ignoring to some degree what my opinion of the market was, uh, we were able to make money, even though there was a lot of uncertainty in 2019. So again, I've, I've, I've been through you know a number of different market environments, ups and downs. I looked at both sides of the markets. And really, I'm willing to go wherever my systems will take me because I trust my systems. I know that they're backed by decades worth of research and sound investment strategies and philosophies. And uh, it really is just a matter of controlling your emotions and not trying to wake up every day uh, you know, making silly moves on your gut feel and, uh, and following some, following a strategy. And I just want to point out that that right there is exactly why Adam is with money in markets. That is exactly what makes Adam such a huge asset for not only money in markets, but for, uh, our readers and listeners is because he comes with that approach. Now, besides cycle nine, and I, and I've, and I've read about, about this, you also have another systematic strategy that, that appears to be, even easier to use, which is, which is nice actually. And, and it's one that, that it, it appears to me anyway, that it can capitalize on, on even wilder volatility in the markets, whether it's up or down booms or busts. So I, you know, touch a little bit on that. We probably don't have a lot of time to get into it today, but just touch just a, a, a brief, a brief bit of that. Yeah, sure. Well, Cycle Nine Alert is an options trading service. What we do, we do realize that not everybody wants to trade options for various reasons. Um, so I kind of I came up with another way to trade both the booms and the busts in the market, playing both sides of the market uh, with just two simple ETFs. These are funds that you can buy just like you buy a stock in any brokerage account. Uh, one of them seeks to take advantage of a, a risk on market where basically stocks are going higher. And the other one is more protective and, and tries to capitalize on, on down moves in stocks or on spikes in volatility. Um, so again, it's a very systematic approach. It's even more systematic than Cycle 9 is. And it's very, very simple. We are only in ever one of two positions. Uh, there's just two, uh, two vehicles that we get in into depending on which uh, mode the market's in. Um, it'll take a bit more time to explain exactly what goes into the system and why it's so specifically 
um, designed for this type of market environment where volatility is, is pretty wild and where there are a lot of swings up and down. Um, so yeah, I'd love to get into that more. Uh, maybe next week we can kind of dive into that. Absolutely. I think that's something that, that everyone should, uh, should definitely take note of, but, uh, uh that, that's perfect. And, and I, I wanted to at least introduce Adam and let, uh, let our listeners know what he brings to the table and, and what kind of an asset he is. Uh, and I think that's going to be about, about enough time for us today. Uh, certainly do uh, appreciate everyone who's downloading. Uh, we're increasing our, our presence, uh, almost daily. Uh, we're uh, now on YouTube, so you can actually just, uh, uh, check us out on YouTube. The Bull and Bear and the Bear podcast is uh, all you have to do is search for on YouTube. You can subscribe to that channel. We're going to do a lot more stuff with it than that. Of course, the, the, the home is moneyandmarkets.com. Uh, every day we are posting uh, news, information, uh, tips, uh, you name it. Uh, we, we, are, we are covering the financial world. So uh, make sure you check out moneyandmarkets.com. And uh, the Bull and the Bear will be back. Uh, we'll have a podcast midweek, and then uh, Adam and Charles will join me again on uh, next Friday, where uh, we'll talk about, I don't know, we'll, we'll uh, uh, obviously going to d- dive deeper into Adam's, uh, into Adam's systems and, and, and his methodology. So you're definitely going to want to be here uh, to listen uh, for that. Plus, I think we got uh, a few other surprises that we may uh, have up our sleeve for next Friday. So for Charles Sizemore, Adam Ordell, I am Matt Clark. Uh, you have been listening to The Bull and the Bear a Money and Markets podcast. We will uh, talk again next week. Have a great weekend, everybody. You've been listening to The Bull and the Bear, a Money and Markets podcast. Tune in each week to hear insights on how to make investing safe and profitable for you. 